funny. I think about sometimes we go through difficult things and we lean on Jesus in those times and recognize that we can only make it through by trusting in Him. Let's pray this morning before we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together and worship your name. God, we recognize in this moment that you have brought us here for a purpose. Lord, I pray as we open up your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord, that you would convict us of sin in our lives. Lord, that you would be always drawing us closer to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would use me. God, my desire is to be used by you in whatever way you've called me. So God, I pray this morning that you speak. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so this is Graduate Sunday. Graduate Sunday is a special time. It's a time where we recognize the graduates, we recognize their accomplishments, we recognize where you are in life. Stepping into a new season, taking on new responsibilities as you step into that new season. But this morning, I want this to be a time of commissioning for these graduates. Now, as you step into this new season of life, as you step into this new time with new challenges that you may face, I want us as a church to commission these graduates to continue that journey, this journey, under the leadership of Christ in their lives. And so what I've done is I've asked some people who are in college right now, they're just a step ahead of you you guys, high school graduates, uh, to give you guys some advice. And um, if you're one of those people that I ask, I I had to shorten some of them, I'm sorry. So I'll read these out to you and... Um, as a church, I want us to think about if, whether or not we can echo this advice to these graduates. The first one is, it doesn't matter what the world calls you, and it doesn't matter what you call yourself. There is only one who has the authority to tell you who you are, and his name is Jesus. The second one is, you are about to go through so many changes. Trust God, even when it is hard, and rely on him. The third one is be bold in life and do not be afraid of nothing, of, of not having a plan for your life, what your life is going to be. Once you leave high school, your life is bound to change. Be ready, hang on, and pray continually. The next one is don't stress about maintaining friendships that will not stand the test of time. And it sounds like it was spoken out of some experience. And then the last one is, don't worry about what the future may hold. Seek the kingdom and keep your eyes fixed on the cross, and then all your worries will fall at the foot of the cross. And so as I began to think about what I could encourage these, you guys as graduates with this morning, I haven't been, hasn't been too long ago that I was in your shoes. It's, every year it's getting, I'm getting further and further away from it. Uh, but it hasn't been that long ago, and so I, I began to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what, 
what do you want me to say to these graduates? And in speaking, to, speaking truth into these graduates' lives, what will you have to say to your church? And um, I began to pray about Matthew chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll, we'll be beginning to read there in just a few minutes. Uh, but before we do, let me tell you a little bit about Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is a recording of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard this before. The Sermon on the Mount is a list of Jesus' teachings, and it's a practical way that Christians are to live. Another way to put it is that it's Jesus, King Jesus' vision for His kingdom, and now His people will live in His kingdom. One of the things uh, that we as Christians should do when we look at the Sermon on the Mount is that we should pursue Jesus' vision for His kingdom and His people in our everyday lives. And so as we walk away from having looked at just a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount, I, I, my prayer is that you guys will, that will be your hearts, that you will want to live out Jesus' vision for His kingdom and His people. But one thing that we see in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus describes the kind of righteousness that the Pharisees practiced. And then in contrast... He teaches that his righteousness, true righteousness, far surpasses the legalistic religious righteousness that the Pharisees practice. And so what we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically this part that we're going to look at this morning, is we see some contrast between the Pharisees and the vision that Jesus has for his people. And there's some contrast between the pagans and the vision that Jesus has for his people. And so I'm just going to walk through just a little bit of chapter 5 just to give us, give us an idea of what that, those, that contrast looks like. Jesus talks about acts of murder and adultery, that it, is, that it begins in the heart. This is so much deeper of a teaching than, than what the Pharisees practiced. They've taught that if you, if you murdered someone, that was the sin. Jesus said it happens in the heart. It starts in the heart. And, it says, and then the next one is don't make promises because you are not in control. And that's, a, that's in contrast to what the Pharisees were teaching. That's in contrast to what our culture teaches. How about this one? Turn the other cheek. Let me read a little bit for you. You have heard that it was, this is Jesus teaching. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to the other, turn the other to him also. You see the contrast here between what the world teaches us and Jesus' vision for his people. A contrast between what the Pharisees taught and what Jesus taught. This is one that we've been talking about in the past few weeks. Pastor Jamie's brought it up several times. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it was said, Love your enemies. Or love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can you see the contrast between what our world teaches us to do and Jesus' vision for his people and for his church? There's a contrast. And so graduates, I want to encourage you this morning, although these teachings by Jesus are difficult, although these teachings are radical in some cases in the eyes of the world, they seem radical. If you're going to live a life in pursuit of Jesus' vision for your life, if you're going to live in pursuit of Jesus' vision for your life, it's going to be in contrast to those around you. If you're going, to, going off to college, you're going to find that there's a culture at that college, no matter what college it is, whether it's North Greenville 
or whether it's uh, USC, the, the University of South Carolina. No matter what college it is, there's going to be a culture, and that culture is going to look different than what Jesus teaches, the way Jesus teaches us to live, the vision that he has for his people in the world. Whether you go into the workplace, there's going to be a culture there that's different than what Jesus' vision for your life is. And so you're going to have to make a decision to be in contrast to what the world teaches. And so this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at some positive and some negative ways to pursue God's vision. And so we're going to read, we're going to start in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 4. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so number one, Jesus addresses the pursuit of fame. And there's two different types of fame that, that's, that's discussed here. Number one is the fame of being exalted by men, and then there's the fame of being exalted by God. And what the, Pharisees were do, what, what the Pharisees were doing is they were doing good deeds so that everybody could see what they were doing. And what that would be like, I, I, I imagine when I read this, I imagine Pastor Jamie, he goes to the hospital and he visits somebody in the hospital. And as he's at the hospital, he, he hands his phone to the nurse and he says, Nurse, I need you to take a picture of me while I'm praying with this person so I can post it on Facebook so everybody can see that I've gone and I've visited with these people and they can say, oh, Pastor Jamie, you're doing such a good job. The reality is that's the way that the Pharisees thought. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to get recognition for their good deeds. They wanted men to exalt them and say, oh, I'm so happy that you're such a good person. You're such a good person. They wanted that type of praise and exaltation. And then I also thought about Pastor Jamie Maybe the, maybe, maybe the next, that Sunday, after he's taken the picture uh, at the hospital, he comes down and he puts his, puts his tithe in the offering plate and he takes a selfie while he's putting his tithing in the offering plate and he says, I'm going to post that on Instagram, hashtag tithing. <laughs> so people can know that I'm giving. And they could say, oh, Pastor Jamie, he's such a good guy. He's tithing. That's funny, but how many of us have posted pictures on Facebook or Instagram of good things that we've done so that we can get likes? Or so that people can see. It's not all, always all about the likes, but so people can see what we're doing and they can recognize those things in our lives. And the reality is that the Pharisees were seeking their reward from lifting others up through their good deeds. So Jesus says something interesting in Luke chapter 16, 15. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it really quick. It said, Jesus said, he's talking to the Pharisees. This is a different encounter. He says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your heart. What is highly admired by people is revolting to God. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, I don't like your good deeds. 
Wow. I thought good deeds were good. I thought that was a good thing. He says he doesn't like them because he knows their hearts. And he knows the reason that they're doing them is to receive recognition by men. And so graduates, this morning, based on Matthew chapter 6, what is Jesus' vision for your life? Jesus' vision for your life is that you would do your good deeds out of a desire to please God rather than to receive praise from people. Rather than to receive praise from other people. And so practically, how should this challenge us as a church, as graduates stepping into a new season? I think Jesus would want you to examine your heart in the things that you do. Do you seek praise from others? Do you do them out of a desire to please God? Or do you do them to seek recognition, fame from others? The contrast here is the religious masquerades of the Pharisees. It's all for show. Versus what Jesus is talking about, which is genuine spirituality, authentic faith. That's what we're examining our hearts for this morning as we look at the things that we do and the reason we do them. We're going to move now to Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Jesus says, Don't store, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so I have a question for you, and you don't have to answer it like out loud or anything, but just think about it. What do you have in your life that's valuable? What in your life is valuable? I like going on Facebook Marketplace and looking at vehicles. I was telling somebody the other day that I've, I'm 25 years old. I've had probably 11 vehicles in my life. I just, I like buying them. I like selling them. I like fixing them, you know, all of that stuff. But did you know that according to Facebook Marketplace, a 90s four-wheel drive Toyota pickup is a valuable vehicle? I mean, they want a fortune for those things. And they're 300,000, 400,000 miles on them. They're valuable, according to Facebook Marketplace. Uh, recently, we bought a house, but I still get emails from Zillow and other house-buying apps uh, that let me know when there's a house for sale in Dillon. And did you know, according to Zillow right now, houses are pretty valuable. The housing market is crazy. Even in Dillon, it's just amazing. According to Zillow, you can't even buy a house right now in Dillon. I don't know if any, any of you guys know this, but I have a 1987 Ford F-250 currently. I don't know how long I have it, but right now I have it. Anyways, uh, and it's special to me. It's got value, and the reason it's got value is because it's, 34 year, it's a 34-year-old truck that doesn't have any rust. And that's uncommon for those that age of truck to not have rust. And so I have a question regarding that. How many of you are older than 34 in here? 
Raise your hand. I want to see. That, that's a low threshold. Pastor Jamie, you need to raise your hand. <laughs> I'm calling you out. That's a low threshold. I figured, you know, that wouldn't be such a big deal. So how many of you that are older than 34, by show of hands, can testify that 34 years old is not that old? So I'm close enough now. I'll, I'll testify that as well. And yet, it's uncommon for us to see vehicles that are that old or much older than that that don't have rust or don't have problems or aren't falling apart. The reality is this. There are things that we value in our lives that are temporary. And I have a 1987 Ford F-250, but some of us have much newer vehicles and we value them, but reality is in 30 years, they're going to be in the same place that that truck is or worse. They're going to be rusted to pieces. Do we value our cars, our trucks, the things that we drive? They're going to rust away. If you take really good care of it, it's, it might last a little bit longer than mine. Do you value your house? Is that what you put value in? Your house can go up in smoke just like that. Some of us may value a fat bank account. Did you know that if we had hyperinflation, it would be worthless? There is no value in money. And some of us may value gold, silver, all of these things. And Jesus here, he's saying, all of those things, they're going to rust, they're going to rot. They're going to decay. There's no value in those things. They're temporary. Listen to Matthew 16, 26. And you know this verse. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What's valuable in, in this life? What should be valuable? What should we value? What should we place as value in our lives? It's the human soul. The human soul has value. And so in these verses, what we see here is we see Jesus contrasting the things that the world values and the things that he values. What we see is we see Jesus contrasting the mindset of look out, looking out at all that I have. Look at all this stuff that I have. And his vision for his people, which is to look up, And what really matters? What should we really value? And so graduates, church, what is Jesus' vision for your life in this scripture? Jesus wants us to serve him and not our money or our possessions. It's a hard lesson to learn. Practically, what does that look like in our lives? to serve Him and not our money or our possessions. For some of us, it might look like taking a Sunday off from work occasionally. Some of us, it might look like digging a little deeper into our pockets. And for some of us, it may even mean a career change. I'll share a brief testimony of my life. I'm so thankful that God called me into ministry when He did. 
I was a freshman at Francis Marion and I was going to school for engineering. But during that time, I had a pretty nice job making pretty good money for my age as an engineering intern. And I knew, because I had studied when I was in high school, uh, what, good, what, were, what good paying jobs were. And I recognized that engineering was a good paying job. That's really kind of why I went to college for that. But I didn't get the opportunity to make an engineer's salary before God called me to ministry. And I, I count that as a blessing in my life because I recognize that it would have been very difficult if God had asked me to change after I started making that money and go back to school or whatever he had called me to do. And I don't know what, I don't know what God's asking you to do this morning, but I'm just saying that Jesus wants you to serve him and not your money or your possessions. He doesn't want you to look out at all you have. He wants you to look up at him. And so graduates, as you move into this new season, I know because I've been there, Maybe your thoughts on what you're going to school for, what you're going to do with your life, center around how much money you're going to make. And the reality is, is that they need to be centered around how can I serve God with my life? And I'm not saying you can't serve God and not make a lot of money. You can but that should not be your motivation. Are you in your life as you look ahead to your next step, your next, the next place you're going, are you pursuing money? Are you pursuing finance? Are you pursuing to serve Christ with your life? So number one, we have the pursuit of fame. Number two, Jesus addresses the pursuit of fortune. And then finally, number three, Jesus addresses the pursuit of fullness in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. So we're going to read that. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Already we see a con the contrast here. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe, observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all his splendor was, was not adorned, was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into a furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so graduates, I want to ask you, and our church, if you remember back to this time, how many times in the past couple of years you've been told that you need to have a plan for your life? Uh, when you become a junior, it gets real, and it's like most people are saying, you need to, you need to have this figure out as a junior in high school what you're going to do with your life. 
And born out of that push to figure out the plan for your life is a fear of not having it planned out. And I wonder if any of you graduates are there this morning. Maybe you quickly scrambled to put something together, but it's, you still don't have it figured out. Some of you, it may even keep you up at night. You think, oh, I got to pick a school and I got to do it quick. Or I need to pick a major and I need to do it quick. In church, we find ourselves in this situation sometimes too. We, we fear what is going to come next. We don't have it planned out. We don't have it figured out. We're scared of what the future may bring. And so listen to what Jesus says. He says, look at the birds. He says, they're not even preparing for their next meal. And they're living in the moment. And when I say that they're living in the moment, I don't mean that in a hedonistic sense of like, we're just going to do whatever we want to do and we don't care about the consequences. What I'm saying when I say live in the moment, I mean it in the sense that we live for what God has given us right now. We live for God in this moment. And God also says this, he says, your life is valuable and you're worth more than the weeds and the dead grass. And they're beautiful. My yard has a bunch of weeds in it. And I try to cut them down every chance I get. But your life is worth more than that. It's valuable. It's more valuable than anything else. Now think about as it relates to fearing the future and fearing the unknown and fearing not having a plan. Whenever I came here to Dillon, to First Baptist, uh, there was some fear involved. And it wasn't just, you know, scared of how the people were going to be, whether or not they were going to be nice. You guys are awesome, by the way. But it was scared of all of the things that had to come together in order to make that happen. And I, I think of just a couple um, parts of that plan that God had and, and the way he laid it out. One of them was housing, and the other one was Kelsey's job. And so with the housing, I had spent, at the church I was at, I had spent two years trying to buy a house there. And I had opportunities to, but I, because I was preparing for me and Kelsey to get married, and I wanted us to have a house that we could go to. And God never opened the door for me to be able to buy a house. And I didn't understand. At the time, I was, I was nervous. I was scared that it was going to come time for me and Kelsey to get married, and we weren't going to have anywhere to live. I was scared for that. And as the time began to approach for us to get married, I still didn't have any, anywhere for us to live, and... I won't go into any like specific detail, but the Lord opened it up for us to be able to buy a house like immediately as soon as we came here. And the way it worked out, it was like, God, I can't believe I ever doubted you. 
I can't believe I ever feared for my future knowing that I was stepping into your plan for my life and your vision for my life. And then the other thing was Kelsey's job. And so Kelsey had to, Kelsey was working in Darlington at the time. She had to renew her contract and they had already extended it, the contract one time. And so it was coming up on time for her to renew her contract. We didn't really want her to have to drive to Darlington from Dillon. And so I called Pastor Jamie and I, I know you remember this time I was, I mean, I expressed to you how fearful and, and nervous I was. And I was thinking, you know, Lord, are, are you, what are you doing here? I don't see what, what that looks like in our life. And it was like the next day, maybe not even the next day. And Kelsey had not one job opportunity, but three job opportunities. And it was like the Lord was saying again, why are you fearful in things that I've already prepared for you, I've already promised you, I've already called you into. And so in God's word and in this story, Jesus has a vision as it relates to anxiety, worry, fear about the future graduates. Jesus wants us to seek fullness through faith, not fear. Faith that he's going to provide for us emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally. I think about Jesus. We've been talking about this with the students a lot because we went through Luke, the book of Luke, recently. And as we went through Luke, there were a couple of things that I and the students pointed out that were things that happened throughout all of Jesus' ministry. One of them was the amount of times that Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die. Time and time again, he tells them plainly. He tells them in a story. He tells them, you know, through prophecy of, that has already been spoken. Over and over again, he tells his disciples throughout his ministry that he's going to die. There's something else that Jesus says a lot throughout his ministry. And it's this, it's that I am doing the will of my Father. I'm doing the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew he had to die. But in the moment that he was in, he was doing whatever God told him to do. He knew that the future held suffering and pain But it also held redemption, salvation. And Jesus was focused on God's plan, God's mission, His purpose here on earth. So Jesus addresses the pursuit of fame. And he wants you to do your good deeds out of a desire to please God rather than to receive praise from other people. Jesus addresses the pursuit of fortune and he wants you to serve him and not your money or your possessions. And then finally, Jesus addresses the pursuit of fullness. He wants you to seek fullness through faith and not out of fear. And I'm going to end with this. When I went to North Greenville, prior to going to North, so I went to France Marion for a year my freshman year of college, and then I transferred to North Greenville after I felt like God was calling me to ministry. Uh, but that 
prior to going to North Greenville, I spent a lot of time coon hunting. I think I've told you guys that before. I, I, I coon hunted like six nights a week. I was really into it, and I had dogs, and it was just a passion that I had. And, and one of the hard things about going to North Greenville was I prayed. I mean, I, you guys think I'm crazy, but I literally prayed, God, if you, you're going to have to take this away from me if you don't want me to do it because I love it that much. And you're going to have to, you know, take away my desire to do it, basically. Well, one of the ways he did that, uh, when I first got to North Greenville, I decided I was going to go coon hunting a couple times. I just wanted to try it, and it was different than, uh, than hunting down here. You know, we have swamp land, and it's flat, and you can basically drive up to the tree. But in the mountains, there's mountains, and when you're walking through mountains, it's not like walking through a swamp. You're going up and down hills. And the other thing about mountains is that there's not a lot of signal up there. And you know, I wonder why Pastor Jamie goes to the mountains so much. <laughs> there's not a lot of signal up there. And so one of the nights when we decided, okay, we're going to go try out coon hunting in the mountains because um, I just love doing it. Um, we had gotten, we'd let the dogs loose. We'd gotten down into the woods. And we realized that we did not have the capacity to navigate in the mountains. We just had never done that before. And it was not an experience we were used to. And the other problem was that there was no service. So it wasn't like we could pull up Google Maps and figure out where we were at and what mountain we were on and that kind of thing. Uh, we were lost in the mountains, in the woods, in the middle of nowhere. And it was, it was me and one other guy. And I wish I could tell you that we built a fire right there, camped out for tonight, waited till it got light and found our way out. No, we didn't do that. We freaked out. Um, we were scared, we were fearful, and we didn't know what to do. So we, we sat down for a minute and we thought, and we looked out across the mountains, and there was a house on, the other, on another mountain across the valley, and there was a light at that house. And what we did was we used the light from that house to navigate our way out. We couldn't even tell how high up we were, how far down we were, and as we went through the mountains, that light, when we would go up in elevation, the light would be down here, and then when we would go down in elevation, the light would be up there. The light was a fixed point for us to focus on as we navigated our way out of this dark and terrible mountainside. <laughs> we got it ourselves by that fixed light through the woods. And I'm going to read two scriptures for you. Pastor Jamie already read one, but I'll read it again. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And then Psalms 31:11 says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. And some of you church members do you remember a time when you were sitting in these graduate shoes? And for some of you, that was a long time ago. But the reality is, is that God's word is that fixed light in our lives that guides us, that we use as our guide as we navigate through life, graduates. But here's the best part. These, a lot of these folks in this church, they were sitting where you're sitting. And God's word was the same then as it is now. God's vision for their life 
was the same then as it is now. God's word never changes. Graduates, as you go off into college, you're going to be entering into a new environment with new challenges. We had never been coon hunting in the mountains before. And we didn't know what it was like to walk up and down those hills. There were new challenges. It was a new environment. And we used that light as our guide. You need to use God's word as your guide as you enter into a new season, a new environment, new challenges. You may face challenges you never thought you would. And as you seek to pursue God's vision for his kingdom and his plan for your life, in these new environments and with these new challenges, His Word is your God. And so church, as we continue, as you continue in your life, and God's plans are never changing, they're for all generations. Whether you're graduating high school or whether you're 100 years old. I didn't want to pick an age. How old are you, Pastor Jamie? (laughs) Graduates, this is a special time. And like I said, you're being honored for your accomplishments, all the things that you've done, the places you're going to continue to go. But I want to encourage you to remain in faith. The statistics show that almost all of you that are graduating high school, that you're going to leave this church and you're going to go out into the world and you're going to allow the world to persuade you into a life of rebellion against God, a life of secular hedonism, And I want to encourage you this morning to not let that be you. Follow God's plan for your life. Follow Jesus' vision that we've talked about. Continue in the path of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, for what it means to us. God, we thank you that you speak to us by your word. God, I pray as these students get ready to go into the next chapter of their life, Lord, we recognize that it's going to be vastly different than what they've experienced before. God, for some of them, it's going to be a secular university with teachers that want to destroy their faith, professors that want to tell them that God's not real. Lord, I pray that you will allow them the strength to stand firm in their faith. Lord, that you would give them the wisdom to speak truth into those situations. Lord, I pray the pressure that they feel from their peers to live however you want to live, to do whatever you want to do, do whatever feels good. Lord, I pray that you would allow them the strength to stand against that peer pressure that they're going to face, whether it be at college or in the workforce. Lord, I pray that as a church, you give us opportunities to speak truth into their life to encourage them in this difficult, challenging time. Lord, that you would give us opportunities to aid them in wisdom by your word. 
And God, as always, I pray, if there's anyone here who is seeking your redemption, your salvation, got a new heart, I pray that you would, as, as Christians, give us the opportunity to share that as a testimony in our lives and also as a gospel message. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I know the answer to every question.